Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, I'm going to start off by telling you a little story today um, and showing you a few pictures, so I hope that's okay. <laughs> I like stories and I thought pictures would help back them up. So this is the first one. So in June and July, uh, June slash July, I was kind of in the middle of both. Mark and I had the opportunity to go back to Canada and visit my family. And so on the way over, um, we purposely booked an extra long layover. um, So we would have a day in Hong Kong so that we weren't on a plane for quite so long. Because if you've ever traveled to North America, you would know that it is a really, 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 really long flight. You think you got there, and it had a couple more reallys on the end. (laughs) And so this is Mark and I in Hong Kong, and um, I started thinking about this before we left, um, because our trip to Hong Kong had me feeling all of these feelings about my first trip to Hong Kong. I felt some nostalgia. I remembered some discomfort. I was reminded of risk and courage. So when I first went to Hong Kong, I was a first year Bible college student and I was in the missions program and we spent the last six and a half weeks of our first year doing missions in Southeast Asia. We can bring up the second photo now. (laughs) So this is me in my first year. Um, I was 19, I was young, And I know that there are some of you here today that would say, you're still young, but that was a decade ago for me, so I was younger than the young I am now. (laughs) I was out on my own for the first time, and of course, because I was at Bible college, we have a saying, ring by spring or your money back, so I was going to find a husband. Since I was at Bible school in the missions program, I was going to live overseas, and I was going to be a missionary. Well, I finished with a youth ministry degree. I am married. Happened a little later than I initially expected, but that's okay. I do live overseas, as Australia is not Canada. And we run the youth ministry, so I guess I didn't get it all wrong. (laughs) But first year, my first stop was teaching English for 10 days in Hong Kong. So this is me with some of the students I made friends with. Um, And just mere hours after landing in Hong Kong, I landed myself in the hospital. So it's like 2 a.m. I made a friend come with me on my team because my team leader was a man and I just felt more comfortable having a girlfriend there with me. Um, So it's 2 a.m. They don't want to let my friend stay overnight with me. I have to stay by myself. It's dark. Everyone is speaking Mandarin or Cantonese or whatever it is they speak over there. Still not entirely sure. (laughs) I have to listen really carefully because when they call my name as I'm waiting through triage, etc., I can barely make out what's my name. I'm like, what if I miss my call? (laughs) Can I just see the doctor? I've got doctors yelling at me because we do things culturally different in Western society than they do in Asia. And there is a million people always around. Upon discharge, I found out I was at a teaching hospital. 
So that was a little uncomfortable. But I'm lying in my bed in the midst of this. And I'm kind of like curled up in the fetal position. I'm scared. I'm alone. And I'm not sure why this is happening. So I'm bawling my eyes out. And I pray what I think are probably the most risky words. I said, God, don't let me die here. And I will go anywhere you want. (laughs) And do anything you want for the rest of my life. That's a risky thing to say to God, isn't it? What if he takes you up on that? (laughs) He probably will. (laughs) All right, so there was nothing life-threatening. I was being a tad dramatic. I was 19. (laughs) But I was scared, and I was alone, and I was questioning whether this trip would be worth the risk, wanting desperately for someone to make it easier. But I felt like I needed to be courageous and let God walk me through it. I didn't even tell my parents till days later because I figured if they got a call from Hong Kong saying, Mom, I'm in the hospital, they would have taken it worse than I did. (laughs) I laugh about it now, but sometimes I take a minute and I stop and think about those moments. I take in that prayer and I ask myself what those words really mean. God, I will go anywhere you want and do anything you want. And sometimes I evaluate if I still mean them. So why do I tell you this story? Because going to Hong Kong in June had a different feeling. I was going as a tourist, and there was no risk involved. I usually like to define things for you. Chad has his three points. I like definitions. But I'm not going to do that today, because I think... I can speak for at least most or some of us in the room when I say that when we hear the word risk, we think of danger. So in my studies at uni this semester, I've been learning a lot about processes of negative thoughts, et cetera. But this isn't even just one of those negative thoughts. For most of us, our core belief about risk is that it's dangerous. So we've got innocent, young, timid little me, I'm overseas, and I'm not liking some of the things I have to do. My professor at one point told me that I was going to have to live with a Chinese family for a week, and I cried again. It was a risk I didn't want to take, and I was uncomfortable with it. But I needed to take up courage, because I was certain I was right where I was supposed to be, and that God had asked me to do this, yet I was afraid to step into some of the things that this trip asked of me. I look happy in that photo, but I think just before that photo was taken, we had all been out for dinner, and I wanted to gag on just about everything I ate. (laughs) And I had to put a smile on my face and pretend like it was all okay. They could probably tell, but I'm going to tell myself they couldn't. So the thing is, sometimes what God asks us to do is risky. And the thing about stepping out into God's promises is that sometimes you need to take a little risk. Sometimes you need courage. And my life is better for having taken that trip, even though it was scary. All of this to say, the trip got me thinking about the Israelites and the promised land. Why? I feel like that's a bit random. But there was a real risk for the Israelites in taking over the promised land. 
And the way I see it, they were afraid. There was a lot at stake. So we'll look at Deuteronomy 1.19, which is Moses' recounting of what happened in Numbers 13 to 14. So I'm going to read from the ESV. I know I brought my Bible, but I like to write it into my notes. It's easier. <laughs> then we set out from Horeb and went through all the great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Gadesh Barnea, and I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set up the land before you. Go up, take possess possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near me and said, let us send men before us, that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and they went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshel and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carries you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet, in spite of the word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go up. So the Israelites were afraid of what lay before them in the promised land. They had to conquer the people that was already living there if they wanted to inherit this wonderful land that was said to be flowing with milk and honey. There was a risk, so they said, Let's send out some guys. Let's get them to scope it out. Bring back some information so we can feel a little bit better about this. And the Lord kind of agrees reluctantly, kind of like, look, guys, if this is what you need, that's okay. And each tribe sends out a representative. If we look at the story in Numbers 13, 27, it says, they gave Moses this account when they returned. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here it is its fruit. When they came back, though some reports were good, they also had some that were not so good. So they say, it does flow with milk and honey. Who would have thought? <laughs> but they still ref refuse to enter the land, and they blame God for hating them, the scripture says. Not just, this isn't a good thing, God, this is scary, so clearly you hate us. Normally, 
such a mission would have made good sense, sending out some spies to see what's going on. That seems logical to me. But in this case, because it comes immediately after one of God's commands, the proposal seems to actually indicate a lack of faith. And this is reinforced by the fact that even with these good reports of their mission, saying the land was good, it was fertile, the Israelites did not want to enter. It was not worth the risk of invasion. If we move on to Numbers 13.31. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. And the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. So they come back, and they spread this fear. The land devours people. They're of great size. I'm but a mere grasshopper. We couldn't possibly take the land. God's promises concerning the land were true. They saw that from themselves, but the obstacles were far too great in their minds. So the Israelites accuse God of deliberately trying to destroy them, saying that his actions are hostile rather than believing that he's acted in their favor. Next chapter, number four, Numbers 14.1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept out loud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and we should go back to Egypt. So we've got a community of people who are angry and who are scared. They even say that it would be better to have died in Egypt or the wilderness. Neither of those sound fun. And they seem to think that the Lord is only bringing them to this place to let them fall by the sword. As a result, they miss out on a huge promise at that time. God has asked them to do something in faithfulness to him so that he could bless them. And was there risk? Yes. God asked them to have a little courage. And the Israelites said no. Finally, when we follow this story along, they do enter the land in the book of Joshua. Well, a different generation, but they get there. And Joshua 23:14 says, Not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. So we see in the progression of this story that God was faithful. 
God did what he said that he would do. And God showed them multiple times that he was faithful. But they let this fear of risk and this lack of courage keep them from what he had for them. God did provide the sufficiency they needed, and he did stay true to his promises. But as I was thinking about this story, and this lack of faith, and this lack of risk, it got me thinking about something else. And I think this is the heart of what I really want to share today. God asked the Israelites to do something, to conquer a land that was good for them, that was overflowing with blessings and provision. He asked them to be faithful in something good. And like we've established, they said no. But it gave me a question. My question is this. What does their response, what does the Israelites' response say about what they really believed about the Lord. In Exodus, when Moses went up to the Mount Sinai, he he came down at that time and he found the Israelites worshiping a golden calf they had made. So even in all the faithful things they've seen, they're still not choosing to believe in these promises that God has said, I have for you, my people, I have promises, and I'm going to see you through. What does their response say about what they believed about God? Because they didn't openly accept these wonderful things, and they blamed God instead for hating them, which isn't just like God was a little mean. Hate is a strong thing to say. So I think that the Israelites demonstrate a core belief issue in the heart of that. A core belief is something we hold as an absolute truth deep down in our inner being. In the depths of our being, underneath all of our surface thoughts, it determines what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about others, and what we believe about the world we live in. And I think that what we see in this story demonstrates an issue of that absolute truth and that deep belief that the Israelites held inside. I think it was more than just a fear of risk or a lack of courage, because when God commanded them to do this, there would have been a belief in the depths of their being that told them, yes, I can trust God. He's going to bring me through this. Or no, he wants to destroy us. What do they believe about his nature? His ability to provide, to carry them, to sustain. We have a couple, I don't know, million formal slaves in the wilderness. They've been brought out of Egypt. They don't know how to live in community. They have come from horrible, controlling slave masters as authority figures. By today's standards, we would consider them quite traumatized. 
And now they're in this position where they're told that God is their authority figure and that they need to obey him, that he wants good things from them. So they've come from a place of being beaten and maybe even being killed. I don't know all of the things that they would have experienced, but they've got masters lording over them. And now they get a new master, and they're supposed to believe that he is good. The belief in their inner depths about authority would have been that it's not good. It would have been that this authority hurts me, that this authority is unsafe, that there is a risk involved in obeying that authority. The problem wasn't necessarily even in the situation in that moment, but in that way that they've interpreted it because of their past experience, it caused a distress in them. They would have been fueled by patterns of thinking that were established in them probably somewhere in their childhood. Sometimes our thoughts are different than reality, but we make our own meanings of reality. So for the Israelites, it might have gone something like this. It was too dangerous to enter the promised land. Therefore, God must want to punish us. God must hate us. We have a thought, and that's where it starts. Like, we can't inherit this land. It's unsafe. So we reinforce it to protect ourselves with an assumption such as, God's asked us to do something risky. Therefore, he must not have our best interest in mind. Obviously, he is hostile, and he is out to get us. Which means that deep inside, at the root of what we believe, we believe that God isn't faithful. We believe that I can't trust him and that he won't come through for me. So we have all these things layered that becomes an absolute truth in the core of our being, and that is what we believe. If we can't believe that we have a God as faithful, if that doesn't line up with what we truly believe, if we don't think that when he brings us into that promised land, he's going to help us get through it, then why would we take a risk? God's not going to be there for me. Why would I step out and do what he's asked? Why would I take up courage? What's the point? Putting myself out there on the line. And what's good's going to come from that? I want for you today to ask yourself, what is that belief about God for you? And not all of our beliefs are bad. Some of them are great. There are beliefs such as, yes, I do know he's faithful, and I do truly believe that in the core of my being. God has provided for me. I know that he's a provider. 
God has shown me a love like no one else has shown me, and therefore I know that God is love. So not all of these inner beliefs are bad. But for others of us, we've had a bad experience. Something's happened. We felt like God didn't come through, and that has established a belief about who he is. So what do you believe when God asks you to take a risk? When he asks you to do something courageous? Or when he asks you to trust him? God created us in his image. He created us to rise and shine. And what this is, is it's a reminder to be actively encouraged to do something in order to activate the promises of God. Take a risk. Be courageous. Challenge your inner beliefs, or evaluate them at least. There is no good in the promises of God if we don't get up, get out of bed, and embrace every day. What was the point in the promises of God if the Israelites weren't willing to seize them? But taking hold of these things, promises, they involve risk, they involve taking courage, and they involve being front-footed. And sometimes it involves examining our core, our inner truths and beliefs about things and asking ourselves those questions like, do I believe that God is faithful? Is there promises that are going to come out on the other side of my risk? And when we do this, when we do these things, stepping out and believing, we demonstrate a little bit of God's nature. So when I said in that hospital, God, don't let me die here, and I will go anywhere you want and do anything you want for the rest of my life. What was my inner belief about God? What if God's promises for me involve a big risk? What if he asked me to do things that take a lot of courage? I don't know if I understood in that moment what I was saying because anything and anywhere is a pretty big thing and that involves a giant step. But I just want to share what the Bible says in Ephesians 3 verse 6 with you. It says this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promises in Christ. I feel like that is really fitting because we've been through a story about Israel and the Israelites. And then we had the Gentiles, but together both are heirs They're both together members of one body 
and together we all share in the promises of Christ. So those promises weren't just for the Israelites. They weren't just for those people coming into the promised land. They are for everybody, for all time, who believes in Jesus Christ. So those promises are for me, and those promises are for you. We are together as one body, and we share in those promises. It's really hard to take a risk. Encourage doesn't come easily for some of us. Trust isn't always natural. Sometimes even trusting God is a risk. And struggle makes life really difficult to navigate. It means that we step back sometimes from the things that God has for us. We step back from the things that we know are good and the things that make us grow. But God wants us to grow because we are called to shine and God himself took a risk with us. I think the most attractive thing that I find in another Christian, the thing that shines the most is when we demonstrate a part of God's nature. So when I see the demonstration of faithfulness to God and someone else, when I see another part of the body of Christ step out and take a risk or do something that's trusting God, there is something beautiful that happens there. When we risk or take courage, we demonstrate a little bit of what God is like. So I don't know where any, everyone is at today, and maybe you feel a little bit like the Israelites, but Moses had commanded them to not be afraid. And I think that he was empathizing there, that he understood the enormity of the task, but also he understood the immensity of God's sufficiency. Our basic, deep-down beliefs often form before we even realize it. We're a small child, or when something happens, and we never generally see it until we're confronted with it later. But I really liked Leanne's word this morning about the tornadoes and how they were picking up stuff. Because today, as those tornadoes spin around the room, they can pick up fear. They can pick up risk. They can pick up a lack of courage. They can pick up an inner belief that should not be there. And they can just whisk it away. So I'd like to pray with you, um, and I'd like to open up this space for prayer, if there's something that you felt resonated with you. If you wanna grab a friend and that's more comfortable, or maybe you have a friend and you just feel it's on their heart that they need some prayer, come up together. We have a team that would love to pray with you. Because God wants you to shine. And so we, as the body, want to shine and experience God's promises with you. Lord, I just thank you 
that you are all sufficient, that your promises are good, God, and that you are true, Lord. We just thank you that you demonstrate over and over again that we can see those things in you, Lord. Like you came through for the Israelites, God. You're not gonna lead us anywhere that's bad. You're not gonna lead us anywhere that you haven't got a plan and that you haven't made a way, God. God, I just pray for breakthrough in this place today, Lord. God, I pray for a body that together embraces your promises, gets up, gets out of bed, Lord, and embraces the day, God. God, we don't want anything to hold anyone in this place back. God, we just want to shine your nature in us and through us. In your name we pray. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.